Welcome to Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as the social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders from the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series is our first installment where we interview a researcher about a specific study that was published. We are extremely pleased to welcome Dr. Alina Jershaw, who is an Associate Professor of Medicine at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and Montefiore Hospital in New York. Dr. Jershaw's research interests focus on the pathogenesis of drug allergies and improving our understanding of diagnostic and therapeutic approaches to these conditions. Dr. Jershaw has over 35 peer-reviewed publications, and today we are going to focus on one of her most recent studies titled, Safety and Outcomes of Oral Graded Challenges to Amoxicillin Without Prior Skin Testing, which was published in the January 2019 issue of Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. Dr. Jershaw, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me, and I'm, I'm happy to join. Great. Well, before we get into some details about your study, you have a long and remarkable career dedicated to research as well as patient care. Would you be willing to share with our listeners the aspects of research that you find most exciting? Uh, Thank you for asking that. Um, I feel that the most exciting part of research and clinic is the fact that they help each other. I think whatever we learn in clinic, it benefits research. And whatever we learn in research, it benefits clinical work. Um, Indeed, it's a challenge to find a balance between the two. Uh, I feel very fortunate to have an environment where this was possible. It has allowed me to do both. And such an environment is very important to foster research at an institution. And uh, of course, there are always challenges to find time to do both. Uh, But I feel the benefit of doing both is actually so great that it should be possible for anyone who wants to do it. Well, that's great. You're clearly very passionate about it, and I know that we are all benefiting from the great work that you're doing. Thank you. Can you tell us why you decided to conduct this particular research study? Um, So before that study that was just published, uh, we had another study which was published, I think, about uh, a year or two ago. Um, That was a study on penicillin testing and challenges in patients who who are coming from our minority background. So most of the patients were from Latino or um, African-American background in the Bronx, New York. And... Uh, Unlike the latest study that we are going to talk about today, this first study was focused on skin testing and then challenges. So while 
doing this study and skin testing all the patients who were willing to join our research, uh, we've noticed that some of the patients had positive skin tests. And we would tell them that, unfortunately, they're really allergic to penicillin and they should not undergo penicillin challenge. And then I had a family of um, two Irish women, a mother and daughter, who were very fair-skinned, and they had positive skin tests. Um, and I told them both, it's very interesting. It seems to run in the family because you clearly have a positive skin test. Um, and we shouldn't do penicillin challenge. But both of them were highly motivated, and they said, why not? <laughs> they said, we didn't die back then. <laughs> So why don't we try again now? And their reaction was um, literally many years ago. And so after discussing the risks and benefits, we decided to proceed with the challenge. And we did the challenge on both of them, and both of them passed the challenge without any single uh, adverse reaction. So moreover, these two patients actually needed penicillin. That's, I think, why the motivation was there. Um, they both completed a course of uh, augmentum of, of 10 to 14 days each, and they had no problems. So that made me think that maybe penicillin skin testing uh, could indeed be false positive, as it is also stated on the label that there are possible false positive reactions to uh, pre-pen, for example. And, and I thought by just not challenging patients with history, uh, like my patients wisely pointed out, their reaction in the past was not life-threatening. Um, so by not by doing skin tests that may be false positive, we might deprive patients who are actually not allergic from the chance of having penicillin for their treatments. At this point, we thought maybe it would be a good idea not to do skin testing in patients who don't have history of life-threatening reactions to penicillin. So that's how it came about. <laughs> Well, that's really fascinating. So you took your experience as a clinician to really start to generate some new questions, and then you conducted a research study to try to answer those. That's that's amazing. Yeah, I was highly motivated by my patients, so <laughs> it's, um, I, I need to thank them, and actually I did. <laughs> oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So be, before we get into this recent study that you published, uh, can you just touch upon some of the more cumbersome aspects of trying to clarify somebody with a self-reported penicillin allergy? So what are some of the challenges that we all face in practice? Good question. Um, I think there are a couple. One challenge I feel that has been well presented by Roland Selensky on the past, uh, during the past um, academy meeting where he said, um, in the United States, we have about 6,000 penicillin allergic patients for each allergist in the country. So I found this uh, arithmetics quite fascinating. That means um, if I personally see, I don't know, I'm just making an estimate, let's say 500 patients, new patients a year, it would take me about 12 years to um, skin test my portion of penicillin allergic patients, and I would have to give up um, all other patients uh, that come to see me for other reasons, like let's say asthma or ARD. Um, so that would be quite a journey. And I, I think this is one of the challenges we all face. 
I feel that maybe just like we are dealing with diabetes or high blood pressure, when people have the condition like diabetes or blood pressure, um, uh, hypertension, so they don't have to always see cardiologist or endocrinologist. Uh, They might be well managed by their primary care practitioners. And I think penicillin allergies might consider or handling penicillin allergy might be possible by primary care physicians as well. So um, I, I think by empowering primary care physicians to evaluate penicillin allergy and uh, in patients who didn't have life-threatening reactions and administering challenge in primary care setting should be an option. And hopefully that will be an option at some point and that will relieve the burden of all allergists in the United States and probably around the world because it's not just United States problems. It's, um, it's a problem that has been reported from many different countries as well. So uh, by letting um, other physicians to partake um, their, uh, to, 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 to be able to evaluate patients uh, for penicillin allergy, uh, we might be able to actually uh, relieve the epidemics of penicillin allergy. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I feel that patients sometimes are deterred by the multitude of steps that are currently present um, as a barrier to being evaluated for penicillin allergy. For example, if uh, let's say I am penicillin allergic and I decide to investigate further, so I would probably need to go to see my primary care physician first, um, ask for a referral to see an allergist, then I go to an allergist office, then the allergist is possibly having pre-pen in his office, but maybe not necessarily PEN-G, which is the second part of the skin testing regimen. And the allergist in that case might say, look, I am happy to see you for a follow-up to do the skin test. And the skin test, um, the visit probably involves about anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes. So a patient who comes again for skin testing will need to spend another hour of his or her busy schedule to do penicillin testing. And then there is also a challenge that may be conducted immediately after skin testing or if the allergy practice is way too busy or if the person has something else scheduled, then it's not going to be possible that day. So they might actually need to come back again. So we are looking into about a total of um, three to four visits. I don't think people have that much time. and. Uh, when I did skin testing study, uh, I've realized that more than half of the patients did not have time to stay for a challenge or return for a challenge. So I think this is really um, the challenges that we face in practice right now. And hopefully, by working on this together, we might be able to suggest a different strategy. Yeah, I agree 100%. And you know, if we think of the sheer number of patients with self-reported penicillin allergy, if we're going to have any hope of making a dent in that and clarifying, uh, we need to really think outside the box and and think on levels of widespread implementation. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, well, so that gets us to your study. Um, can you tell us about your study design and uh, uh, focusing on what the primary outcome was that you looked for? Sure. Um, so. Our study design was fairly simple. We included all patients who reported penicillin allergy. We screened them, and then we excluded those who reported life-threatening reactions. So life-threatening reactions could have been 
anaphylaxis requiring intubation. Also, when anaphylaxis was severe but not required intubation, but the patient was exposed to several medications at the same time, for example, such as in anesthesia setting, those patients were excluded as well. And then uh, we excluded patients with uh, delayed life-threatening reactions, such as Stevens-Johnson or DRESS. So um, that left us with uh, 155 patients um, for, for the study. Um, I'm sorry, 159. And, and all of these patients were offered to have a challenge, direct challenge without skin testing. So that was our study design, and the primary outcome was the tolerance of the penicillin challenge. We used amoxicillin, and um, why did we use amoxicillin? I think there are a couple of reasons to this as well. So first of all, it's one of the more common prescribed oral penicillins. Um, secondly, it has a, another advantage. It's a semi-synthetic penicillin, so it's covering both plain penicillin as well as a penicillin with a side chain. Um, there was a study, uh, I believe around 2010, uh, that indicated that about 5% of patients are not being identified as penicillin allergic if they are not tested with amoxicillin. So in, in order to make sure that we cover all the bases and all patients can tolerate not only plain penicillin but also penicillin with a side chain, we decided to use amoxicillin. And um, I think that was the reason for amoxicillin. Uh, also, it's very easy to use in clinic. It's a suspension that we use. Uh, we, we had placebo, which was also more or less like a sus suspension syrup. So it's the same syrup as people use in um, um, in pharmacies to prepare suspension of medications for children. That was our placebo. And, and then uh, we administered basically two-step challenge, but three-step because uh, we also used placebo. So placebo and then one-tenth of the medication and then the full dose of the medicine, which was 500 milligrams for adult pa uh, patients. Our study included children um, the age of seven and above as well. So for children, it was depends on the child's age and weight. Um, so, and then we administered placebo and uh, the medications and observed the patients for a total of about one and a half hours, um, maybe more like one hour, 45 minutes, I think. And, um, and then we told the patients uh, who passed the challenge that they should be able to tolerate penicillin in the future. Um, we told them that the testing was specifically to rule out anaphylactic type of reactions, more like of an immediate type. And unfortunately, that does not exclude uh, reactions that could happen after three or five days of being on antibiotics, um, penicillin antibiotics. Um, but in that case, we advised them, should they need penicillin, they would take it, and should they have any problems, they should stop the medicine and give us a call. So that's how we uh, approach the, uh, the challenge. Does so that make it, sense? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so it sounds like, just to summarize, and correct me if I miss anything, um, you mm -hmm. took a group, of, a group of patients who all shared the same uh, history of having non-life-threatening uh, reactions to penicillin antibiotics at some point in the past. 
mm-hmm. and all of, all of them were above the age of seven, so children, mm-hmm. uh, older children and adults. And essentially, you just um, gave them a placebo followed by a uh, 10% dose of amoxicillin and then a 500 milligram dose, and then watched them for a little while. Does that sound about right? Correct. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Oh. Okay, Thank you for so, summarizing. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, so, and it sounds like there was no skin testing involved. Is that correct? Yes, there was no skin testing. Okay. Well, uh, what did you find? Well, we found that most people are not allergic to penicillin. In fact, uh, we had four patients who reported allergic reactions. One was subjective, so the person was very itchy and couldn't stop scratching. Um, And it really continued over one hour. And so we decided to call him allergic. And and he reacted actually to the last dose. Uh, With the first dose of amoxicillin, he had slightly, uh, some slight itch that he wasn't really um, concerned about. So we gave him a second dose. And then they each um, aggravated by so much that uh, we had to treat them actually in clinic. So there were no objective signs of reaction in that patient, but uh, because of unresolved symptoms we called being allergic. Um, the other three patients had uh, reactions uh, with skin rash. So all of the rashes were delayed. Uh, all of the rashes happened uh, after they left the office, either the same day in a few hours or the next day. And we offered treatment to all of the patients, so they all contacted us or their physician. Uh, For one patient, it was uh, her physician. And they called us and they told us about it. Um, None of the patients actually took the treatment because the rash resolved spontaneously. But in that case, we told them not to take penicillin. And uh, two of the patients I actually saw, and they did have rashes, either either the rash when it happened or the pictures. So it was quite reliable um, in terms of being react, uh, reactive to penicillin. So we advised them not to take penicillin in the future. But the rest of the patients were able to tolerate challenges, and many of them continued taking penicillin for um different reasons, and they were able to tolerate this as well. So out of 159 patients, was it only four that had objective symptoms and all of them were mild non-anaphylactic? Is that correct? Correct, correct. Uh, We actually, um, uh, three patients did not complete the challenge, uh, or four patients, so we counted as four out of 155, which brings us down to 2.6% of all patients that have been challenged properly uh, did not uh, have allergic, uh, actually had allergic reactions. Yeah. So wow. 2%. So, yeah. so so 97% of the people in your study had been avoiding penicillin antibiotics for years, and yet Correct. they, were, they yes. were fine with it. That's yes. A, that's amazing. Now, um, I have a, a unique question to ask because there's an aspect of your study that I just find truly interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about those patients that had symptoms after the placebo dose? Yes, uh, we found it fascinating as well. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Uh, yeah, many patients had reactions, uh, kind of a placebo type of reaction. So we calculated that we had 20% of reactions that were non-allergic in nature to either placebo or amoxicillin. Um, those reactions were fairly common, actually, in both studies, the one that I described before with skin testing. Uh, during the challenge, people still had a lot of reactions. And also during this study, we had um, 
quite a few patients who reacted to placebo. And placebo reactions were um, very common. In, actually, interestingly enough, some of them were very objective, such as urticaria, but it happened in patients uh, who had history of chronic urticaria for the most part. And um, I, I, you know, I'm not sure how to explain that. Could it be about of chronic urticaria during the challenge? It's possible. Is it that um, there was some component of being anxious about the challenge and maybe that triggered the reaction? It's possible. We're not sure. We also had patients who um, reacted with each that resolved spontaneously, and then nausea, uh, some of the patients had nausea, uh, vomiting, diarrhea, um, definitely a lot of itchy mouth and palpitations. Um, so quite a few different reactions to placebo. Uh, that being said, um, I know there is a very good study from Boston where they observed no reactions to placebo, where they also used placebo. And uh, the setting was very different. So the Boston study was conducted within a hospital, while our study was an outpatient clinic. And the hospital patients were mostly motivated to get the right treatment. So I'm not sure if the motivation causes um, different response to placebo or medication in people. So that's, that's my speculation, but of course I wouldn't know for sure. Well, it, it's really it's really interesting, and um, you know personally, I, I take that um, as something for allergists or any medical professionals who would you know conduct a challenge to provide that anticipatory guidance heading in and letting patients know that they may feel certain subjective symptoms, um, yeah. but uh, we need to be very careful and, and assess objectively to see if any type of reaction is occurring. Correct. Yes, I agree. Well, so overall, it sounds like you found it to be very safe and effective to forego skin testing and administer amoxicillin to patients who all had a history that was not worrisome for prior severe life-threatening reactions to penicillin. Now, do you think we should be doing this in clinical practice? Yes, I think so. Um, we continue to implement this approach in our clinical practice now, so we have continued conducting challenges this way. In patients who don't have history of life-threatening reactions, we actually administer challenge. Um, and in patients who do have life-threatening reaction history, especially the, the immediate type, we do skin testing first. But I think it will simplify a lot of um, uh, things in the clinic uh, when we are able to conduct direct challenges. And our study is not unique, um, so I really like the Canadian study from um, JAMA, I think it's 2017, where about 800 children were challenged to amoxicillin um, soon after they had reactions, so within several weeks to several months. And more than 90% of children passed the challenge without having any problems. So I feel that actually kind of confirms our suspicion that many of these reactions are possibly due to interaction between the antibiotic and uh, the infection, or maybe sometimes they're purely infectious rashes. 
but then the child who hasn't been challenged by Canadians in that study uh, would carry the label of being allergic uh, until late in life. And that will probably contribute to such epidemics of penicillin allergic people. So I, I think doing direct challenges is a good idea as long as you select patients appropriately. Mm, and I agree 100%, and that's something we've been doing at, at our institution as well. Now, oh, you have been. That's great. Yes, yes. And I think, um, you know, with your research, as you mentioned, it's it's contributing to a body of literature now that's all showing if you select patients appropriately through their history and you um, select those that have a, um, a benign history of prior reactions or it's been an extended period of time, that this is something that we can be doing. Right, right. Now, do you have any tips for physicians and, and even patients who may be listening um, to help determine if you know prior symptoms while taking penicillin were truly due to, to an allergic reaction? Um, well, all I can say is let's find out for sure, <laughs> because people who are um, labeled penicillin allergic uh, tend to be treated with different antibiotics that frequently are suboptimal to penicillin. Penicillin is our oldest antibiotic. It's going to be, I believe it's going to be 91 this year. It's quite old. Um, and it's still one of the most effective and the most um, um, helpful antibiotics we have. So I think being able to take penicillin and avoid side effects that are sometimes uh, associated with newer antibiotics is a great idea. So it's actually really helping the patients and the physicians in treatment of many different uh, conditions. So I think finding out for sure is a great uh, idea to do so. I love the positive message. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, so now that this project is published, and I know that it was completed a long time ago and the lag between that and you know publication status, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you're focusing on now? Um, thank you for asking. Uh, so right now, I know in our hospital there is a lot of interest in antibiotic stewardship, and there is a uh, suggestion on act of actually non-allergists conducting challenges in patients who are at this time admitted as inpatients. So from surgical side as well as from medicine side, uh, we are planning to um, conduct challenges directly after evaluating patients and appropriately selecting the patients for penicillin challenges directly. So that brings us to uh, my initial comment that it would be nice if penicillin allergy could be evaluated by non-allergists as well. And hopefully um, that will give us some fruition um, and hopefully we'll get some results from that study as well. It's very early, but I'm sure a lot of other people conduct similar studies around the country uh, and maybe outside of the United States. So I'm uh, kind of expecting a body of evidence coming at us with uh, safety data on conducting penicillin challenges by non-allergists. Well, that's great. I can't wait to see the results of your study, and um, I just I'm, I'm a big fan of the work that you're doing. So thank you for all of that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thank you again for taking the time to be with us today. I, I think this was a great conversation, and I, I personally love hearing some of the you know aspects of your personal um, career and experiences that led you to 
conduct this study and, and we appreciate you taking the time to share with us why and uh, what you found. So uh, before we uh, conclude, is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, thank you very much for inviting me. It was a great honor and a pleasure to be with you today. And uh, I hope it was um, useful to our listeners. I am sure it will be. Thank you again. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please visit www.aaaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or Google Play so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.